Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest of And welcome back to the greatest show on earth that is Talking Terror. As always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G. Welcome you back to this episode of the show, where tonight we're going to be talking about the Gold Geek Keith Stone pick of the week, Bring It On, Cheer or Die, from 2022, directed by Karen Lamb. We're so excited to have you here. Uh, the Dean will not be a part of the show tonight, because we're going to be talking about a lot of geek shit. <laughs> So get buckled up for that, folks. But, of course, I'm joined by the bold and beautiful, the Golden Keith. Be aggressive. Be, be aggressive. Be aggressive. Be, be aggressive. What the <laughs> fuck is up, everybody? Welcome to the Talking Terror. I fucking love it. Give me a D. Give me an I. Give me an E. What's that spell? Die. <laughs> what a f- going, give me a C Give me a K <laughs> <laughs> Nope I, I went like, basic bitch <laughs> yeah, I went basic bitch with it um, But yeah uh, Like I said The theme is on a part of the episode tonight You know Hopefully He'll be back next week Because it is his film pick of the week next week So we'll figure that out in time uh, But Since the ghoul and I are here we're going to fucking geek out a little bit because we have wrestling to talk about. We have Deadpool to talk about. So the first thing I want to talk about with you, Ghoul, is the fucking Rock returning. Made the appearance, showing up, possibly wanting to take down Roman Reigns, but not quite. There's a story that needs to be finished with Cody Rhodes, the American Nightmare, facing down Roman at... WrestleMania, I don't know. I, I was kind of excited to see Rock versus Roman Reigns, but at the same time, that should have happened years ago, if you ask me. I want to hear your thoughts about that. I mean, listen, you know, we spoke about it, and, and, and like I said, I thought that this is, you know, th- th- this would be the time to take the belt away. You know, now is the time mm-hmm. to do it. The way the the way that you end this storyline is not with Cody Rhodes ending, you know, or finishing his story, but rather letting the bloodline get taken over and ultimately dismantled by the mm-hmm. one Samoan ancestry character personality superstar the great one that Mm -hmm. they have which is The Rock it makes sense they know it because they were ready to do it the fan base doesn't want to see it you know and and, or or a I don't want to say the fan base doesn't want to see it because I think a large portion of the fan base did want to see it but 
I think there is just as large a fan base that doesn't want to see it. They feel like that kind of storyline is tired, that that kind of storyline is predictable, that, you know, this could have been seen a mile away, and it's like, well, duh, it is wrestling, and it's scripted. Um, so there is that, just in case you guys didn't know. Uh, <laughs> not, not trying to insult you, just, just saying. You know, we, we learned a long time ago. Um, you know, but I just don't necessarily feel like the answer to that is, is – well, let's have the exact same rematch of last year's WrestleMania. Sure. That's mm-hmm. that's what we should go with. Yeah, like, it, it just, it, I don't know. And, and like, we spoke about with Dean, you know, and, like, he brought up a good point. You know, is Cody Rhodes this generation's variation of the Hulkster? Is he this generation's mm-hmm. variation of Stone Cold? You know, is he the new John Cena? Um, right. I, I, I personally don't see him having that kind of... I mean, listen, obviously he doesn't have that kind of, like, impact or, or level of, of, of fandom for me. You know, it's just a um, you know a forty-six-year-old man, so I'm not going <laughs> to any WWE wrestler and be like, "Oh man, that's who I want to be when I grow up." You know, like it's just I I, I look at it <laughs> yeah. as the business that it is now, and I'm like, okay, do these matches make sense? Is this guy got good talent? Does he help put people yeah. over? Does he have a cool move set? Like, you know, I look at it from a business standpoint, and yes, you know what, Cody Rhodes does do a lot of those things. I'm not taking away from Cody's talent. I just don't feel like this was Cody's story. Cody's story mm-hmm. was before his injury. That was when Cody had the momentum to take the belt away. You know, that, that was when mm-hmm. they brought him in. It was a big steal. Oh, my God. Cody Rhodes, who left the WWE, went and started a whole new fucking business with Chris Jericho. He's on the board. He's the fucking most important person that they have there. He's the huge star. He is the draw besides Chris Jericho at AEW. Makes a killing, and he is talented. I saw some of those matches over there. I didn't get them often, but really good. the kid's got a lot of talent. It was a huge thing when he came back. But all that momentum got deflated because of yeah. the injury. And that's, that, that's, you know, listen, it happens. It's in the business. It happened to Randy Orton. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. injuries occur. Unfortunately, there's always a storyline going. So it sucks when it occurs to somebody who's in the middle of, like, a major storyline. The WWE took whatever hard left or right that it did, and they just kept running with it, which unfortunately meant keeping Roman Reigns with this title, keeping the bloodline going, and really extending this thing to now start beating records, like, left and right. So, I mean, here we are, you know, on the, on the rickety edge. You don't push me, and I won't push you. Uh, you know, it's again, it's Cody Rhodes. You know, and for me, I never see Cody as I don't see him as WWE level championship material. But maybe you know what? Well, maybe no. now, you know he's got, he. If, if Finn Balor 
could win the WWE title, <laughs> universal title. If Shinsuke Nakamura could win the WWE mm-hmm. title or whichever title he had, you know, like I, 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 I Cody Rhodes deserves the belt. But you know what those these all these characters have in common, right? The same thing as Becky Lynch. They all have theme songs that have people that can like, whoa, oh, like, oh, fucking song, yeah. you know, like, ooh, whatever fucking Shinsuke shit is, you know. So like maybe that's what it is. You get a song, you get a theme song that people in the crowd start singing to. They're like, yo, you can get the belt. Bro, your championship material. Now it doesn't fucking matter what you do in the ring. It doesn't matter if you have finishing moves or not. I don't care nope. if you have a storyline. I'll give you the belt. Yeah, it's it's exactly what you said, Ghoul. Because we're old wrestling fans. We're fucking old. Like we've been watching this for a long fucking time. Um, it's like that video that you posted of that little fucking kid watching Cody Rhodes' entrance, and he's all fucking excited. And he's like, "Yeah," like, you know. And once it gets to that point where he goes, "Whoa!" And he just fucking was this shit. That's exactly. He's mimicking him. Yep. Yeah, he's doing what the entire time. I remember time. doing that shit with Hogan as a kid. Hogan you know? all the yeah, time. We'd get hyped up, man. He'd be in the ring. I'd be fucking, I'd be doing the flex. I'd be doing the fucking arm out pose with the other arm fucking curling. The, I'm doing it right now as I'm talking to you about it. You know, I remember, you know, being a kid and we'd play wrestling, you know, where, where, wherever we were in Staten Island. But the, the, the one kid, Big Anthony, right? It was Little Anthony and Big Anthony. Little Anthony lived on the end of the block. Big Anthony lived in the middle of the block. You know, we used to play wrestling at Big Anthony's house for one reason and one reason only. Big Anthony had, like, a front yard that had Mm – it wasn't quite a square, but it was, like, an angled-esque, like, small brick, maybe, like, a foot, foot and a half tall, like – yard like it was bricked in though like you could step right over the bricks and go right into the yard but for us Mm -hmm. that transforms into a wrestling ring the second we put our foot over those bricks and into that grass ding 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 the bell is on you know and it was maybe i don't know 12 feet by 12 feet something like that it wasn't necessarily a square but it was it was a fucking ring so wrestling happened in big anthony's yard now, Big Anthony was like two to three years older than, than most of us. So Big Anthony was pretty much the fucking champion. Plus, it was his yard. So he kind of dictated <laughs> the fucking storylines. Well, what can we say, you know? But, uh, you know, like, but, but, like, that's the thing. You know, I remember going in there and fucking when the Warrior fucking came out. It was like, run in and it's like, shaking the fucking ropes and walking around, pumping your arm. <sighs> Oh, you know, like all that kind of shit. You know, like the only person nobody ever played as was like fucking Andre the Giant because nobody could be Andre the Giant. And that's not even true. We had some dude who in like sixth grade was like six foot fucking four. Josie, he moved over from fucking like Israel or Russia. I can't forget. I can't remember from where. But this fucking kid was like a giant. He beat my ass down one time, man, and fucking it hurt. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, so like, so seeing this kid do that, and mimic all of that, it did remind me of, like, you know, again, like, all right, I get it. There are people, there are kids, if this is what wrestling still is, if this is still a product that should be getting out there to children and not a bunch of grown-ass men who got so used to looking at bitches in bikinis, sorry, women 
in tight clothing <laughs> and outfits and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, gone are the days of the, uh, of the divas, and, and here are the mm-hmm. days of women's professional wrestling. We're supposed to look at them as talent and athletes, which they are. Um, some of those ones back in the day were, too. So, you know, like, yeah. sorry, but, like, Tori Wilson was a fantastic athlete. She was, like, a major cheerleader. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I always say uh, Trish Stratus, perfect example yeah. of it. She was a valet. She was supposed to just be a pretty face walking people down the ring. They gave her that belt, and it was like, okay, they gave it to her because she got big boobs and a face. And I watched as week after week, that woman got better and better in the ring to the point that it was like, holy cow, she's actually a really good athletic talent in the ring with a great moveset, too. Uh, you know, so, so, so it, it, again, we have to remember as a bunch of jaded old fucks, this really wasn't for us in the first place. So if they're making this hard turn, if they're making this hard left, then whatever. It's, it's what they feel is what they need to do to keep their product fresh. And I guess we have to remember as the fans just to go along with it, deal with it. Personally, you know, I might not like it. I liked what my idea for the storyline is, your idea for what the storyline is. I think it's just, hey, you know what? We stuck Cody Rhodes all over the WWE 2K4 video game, and it said, what's the tag? <laughs> Finish your story. Um, so, so maybe we should give Cody the title, you know, or at least the, the title that counts. I think that's the bigger mm-hmm. thing, you know. I really don't think anybody looks at Seth Rollins' title and is like, Seth Rollins is definitely the real champion of the WWE. It's like, nah, man, it's Roman Reigns. It's the, guy who, it's the guy who doesn't have to show up to work all the time. You know, he just makes the most money. Yeah, he's also, Roman is also the guy that's not fucking injured all the time. Like, fuck it. You know, Seth Rollins, he's you got the leg injuries, he's got the back injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the whole thing is that, you know, Seth Rollins is constantly fucking injured. You know, and and I loved uh, Roman Reigns' promo two weeks ago where he was talking to Cody, and he's like, you want to face the guy who's always around and just fucking wimps? He's like, I already know that I'm 10% not here. Like, I'm barely here. But do you want to get the guy that's limping around, who has a bad back or a bad leg, or do you want to face me? Like, you know, it's it was such a good promo because I was surprised because Roman Reigns can't cut promos very well. Like, he sucks. You know, that's why he needs Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman, the mastermind, is the one that needs to cut the promos for Roman. But Roman actually cut a good promo, and I was like, oh, shit. All right, you know, we're, we're into it. But um, the whole WrestleMania... Uh, Thursday night Las Vegas skirmish uh, that they had. I, I fucking loved it because I don't know if you noticed this school, but if you saw the, the bloodline uh, family tree, the rock put up, he put himself as the high chief and Roman Reigns is Roman Reigns. <laughs> I was like, that's fucking great, man. <laughs> You know, and well, but it makes sense. It does absolutely. It makes complete oh. sense, and and you know the whole bloodline versus bloodline match would have made fucking complete sense. But 
the fans didn't fucking want it. And I, I give credit to The Rock in the behind the scenes because he's obviously a TKO board member now because they got bought out. Um, WWE did anyway. Um, but The Rock was the one that suggested that they start handing out We Want Cody signs in the crowds. He wanted those oh. signs to be handed out for people to, to wave because he wanted to build that. Um, he's like, because I'm kind of going towards the SEAL character. Because he was on the Pat McAfee show, and he's like, yeah, those are the Cody crybabies that want, you know, Cody versus Roman. You know, those are the guys that are at home, and the wife wants sex, but they're like, I want Cody to finish his story. He's like, yeah, they're Cody crybabies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like, well, you know was, what? That was even like at the press conference, you know? Like, it was mm-hmm. like, all right, yes. Rock was was definitely putting off, like you, like you said earlier, you know, the, before the show. You know, he's putting off that heel persona. You know, and, and we've seen this. We've seen this from him, which is great, because it's really not all that different from his face persona. It's just, it's just a little bit less sarcasm and just a little more mm-hmm. obnoxiousness. It's like just those little itty bitty touches of like, hey, you know, I'm not, you know, $50 million man, Rock. I'm <laughs> yeah. fucking, I'm the guy that's your boss. I'm the guy that runs this company. I'm the guy that's here right now, and you need to answer to every fucking thing that I'm telling you, Rock. And you know what sold it to me at the press conference you know, it, it, it really, it, like, it, it wasn't anything more than when the conference was over and everything was done oh, yeah. and they were, like, breaking it all up. The Rock just turning around and telling people, we do whatever the fuck we want, straight up. Play, yeah. There's no, like, curbing it. There's no PG-13-ing it. He was just straight up cursing, straight up doing, like, he was, and he played it so well that it was like, yeah. All right. You know what? The Rock is is the fucking villain. He is kind of taking over in a way. He's taking the Vince McMahon role. You know, like <laughs> hey, I I am going to be the face of this, and I'm gonna. You know what? Yeah, I'm gonna do what I want because I am the fucking Rock. I'm gonna buy my way through everything, and you know what? That's gonna make Cody seem like it's gonna give Cody kind of the uh, the Stone Cold Steve Austin thing. I'm the working man. I'm the every. I'm the everyday American man, you know. They, I loved that Roman. It's so funny because, again, we even spoke about it, that they needed to bring up how his father was disrespected. His father never mm-hmm. did it in the WWE. It was like they listened because what does Roman say to him? He says, you know, just like your father, you know, you were never good enough or whatever. Well, he said something along those lines. And, like, you just saw the look on Cody's face like, okay. They're going there with <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you got to wonder, was he ready for that? Was he not? Whatever it was, it was just, it was wonderful. It was like, okay, if they're going to go this route, if this is how they want to do this, then that's what needs to be done. They have to go. It's not just, it's not just Roman versus Cody. It's got to be the bloodline versus what the pedigree was, what the original WWF was, you know, everybody that, led and fucking fought not just for the WWF but for the fucking you know the NWA the WCW all those years all these hard working years of the Rhodes family and all those people being involved that's 
where you're going to go with this. That's who's got to come up against them, you know, because what will be fun is it's some Samoan somewhere, you know, is going to turn on him just because he's like, fuck you, Roman, you know, like, <laughs> I bled for this family too, you know, we, we were part of that as well. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, and, and the whole thing with Cody at the press conference where he was like, your grandfather, Roman Reigns, would be ashamed of you. And Rock, your grandfather would be ashamed of you. You've talked shit about Dusty the entire time. And it's like, yeah, I fucking loved it, you know, because they keep bringing up Dusty. Like, they keep bringing him up. Like, you know, he was nothing. Dusty was nothing. It's like, you know, I, I was a huge Dusty Rhodes fan back in the day. I still am. Like, he wasn't nothing. Dusty was the American dream. He was the son of a plumber, and he fucking ruled, like, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I love the fact that they're playing with that, you know, where it's like, yeah, your father wasn't shit. <laughs> and, you know, and then getting that slap. I love the the fact that The Rock can't slap with shit. <laughs> it was such, like, a baby <laughs> slap to Cody. And Cody had to fucking sell it like it fucking hurt. I was like, what? All right, but no, it's just, it was just great. Um, you know, the fact that they keep playing with it. And even Dustin, uh, as we know as Goldust, uh, who's currently in AEW, uh, commented on Twitter, or X, whatever the fuck you call it. He's like, Cody, finish your story. And I was like, I, I, I like that. <laughs> you know, because, you know, obviously Goldust had a lot of fucking problems with his stories back in uh, WWF days, especially when he was like the gimp to um, one of a Sean. <laughs> so he was put through the fucking ringer back in the day. So the fact that Cody might finish the story, but yeah, like I like Cody Rhodes a lot. I always did, but at the same time, like that's not the guy I want to finish the story. I, I, I just, I don't know. Like it's just, his move set is kind of weak. You know, he copies a lot of Dusty when he moves, and I'm like, I just, I don't know. But, but again, like, that, that, yeah, he did this. Hmm. All right, so, you know, like, like, I, I, again, we spoke about this when, when the Dean was on that, that night. Dusty was kind of like, to me, like, he was, he was before my time of wrestling fandom. Um, especially you yeah, know, as far right. as like WWF stuff, you know, he wasn't a part of the WWF when I started no. watching. NWA. Um, and, be, and being that we didn't have cable, you know, the only experience, my only, my only interaction with the other territories were when I would go to the local flea market and pick up like a, an, an issue of pro wrestling illustrated. And, you know, that mm-hmm. would have rankings and tell you about other storylines and other characters. And like, like I couldn't tell you how bad I wanted to see the fucking Steiner brothers, like in the fucking, oh, you know, God, in their yeah. peak, like in the, that, those early days, man. Rick and Scott, like, man, hell fucking yeah, man. Oh my God. Um, you know, so, but like Dusty Rhodes was, constantly in there and he was just always mm-hmm. wanted you know now don't get me wrong these were the years that it was flair country it was four horsemen it was flair and it was sting <laughs> you know so so they they were the, the the most talked about as far as like you know rankings went and stuff like that but there were always stories about dusty Rhodes. there was always you know images and pictures of this Blonde hair dude 
fucking crimson mask, blood everywhere from whatever like match that he just recently had about against some other guy. You know, and it was like, wow, okay, man, this guy is like legit. He, and he's not like some muscle bound Hulk Hogan looking dude. No, nah, man, he was like, <laughs> I don't know, look kind of like Tom Bundy, just maybe a little bit smaller. You know, um, <laughs> yep. He didn't look as crazy as King Kong Bundy did. Uh, no. But I, rem- I remember when they brought Dusty Rhodes to the WWF, and I remember being like, this is great, you know? Like, they're going to bring this guy in. And, you know, you got that whole, like, it's just working, man. And he started coming in the ring, and everything. <laughs> yeah. it was like, all right, he's kind of got this dancing thing going down, but that's just part of his thing. He's got that southern flair, you know? Like, it's just... Just boogieing around yeah, all the time, and, and then it, was, it just it got like weirder and weirder, and then you, like, mm-hmm. you kind of noticed like the matches that he got were not always like it wasn't what you would think that the guy that had this career would have deserved. You know, they put him in those fucking that polka dot outfit, and then they gave him you know Rosie on top of it. And then that became mm-hmm. like his big storyline. It became it was what mostly it was. I think a lot of it was Dusty Rhodes versus the Million Dollar Man. You know, it was. they took they took the Million Dollar Man out of the title picture because they needed to give you know they wanted to give the Ultimate Warrior a shot. They wanted to give all these other guys their shot. So hey, what can we do with the Million Dollar Man? Well, I know we'll put him up against the Working Man. And it well, made you sense. Know why? You know what? Dusty wore the black and uh, yellow polka dots, right? I knew at one point or another, but I don't remember now. It was one of the killer men. No, it was just a man who what, uh, Dusty had left the WWF at a certain point <laughs> because he wanted to wrestle for another promotion. And then that promotion ended, and he wanted to come back to the WWF. And Vince McMahon said, sure, you can go back, Dusty, but I'm going to embarrass the fuck out of you. I'm going to make you a fucking joke. So he made him wear the black and yellow polka dots. And he was like, yeah, everybody's going to think you're a fucking joke. He's like, you can work for us, but you're going to be a joke. And Dusty took it and fucking ran with it. But, yeah, that's the thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure, polka dot pants. But there were guys fucking, you know, listen, there were other <laughs> yeah. weird dudes rolling around the fucking WWE at the time. You know, you're talking about having, you know, a fucking hillbilly gym. And, and, you know, the fucking bushwhackers <laughs> yeah. and people like that. So, like, having weird outfits and such was not – that really wasn't the problem. It was just really the lack of – it was the lack of any kind of push for him. And, like, I think that really was what ultimately became a disappointment because it was like, all right, well, what are they really doing with him? And, I'm not, I, and again, as a kid, I wasn't looking at it like I do now from the business standpoint. I'm just looking at it from, like – this guy isn't as impressive as some of these other guys, so why do I want to watch him? You know, he's not big and built like the Ultimate Warrior. He's not running around acting like a nut job. You know, he's not monstrous like Andre the Giant was. You know, like all of, the, all of these things are things that I'm looking at from like the perspective of just being a wrestling fan at that time. So it was just, again, it was unimpressive of somebody that had such a storied career and that I spent so many years reading about. It would have been like as if Sting had come to the WWF at that point, and then they decided to, like, make him fucking work like Virgil. It would have been like, okay, that's weird. Like, this guy was fucking, he's like the champion over there. Like, why is he doing nothing here? Yeah, and I think Sting, 
definitely had his fucking day in WCW when he became like the crow goth state. Because when he was in WWF, he was just another guy. Like he had that blonde hair, he had the face paint, but he didn't do anything great. He was just kind of there. But when he went to WCW and he dyed his hair black and he, you know, painted his face, that's when I think he had his heyday. Like, no, 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 no. You, you, you got it all wrong, man. Sting never was in the WWF. Sting okay. had, he had multiple runs in the NWA WCW. Him and the Ultimate Warrior, I forget what territory it was, they were a tag team, the two of them. Um, yeah. Eventually they did split, though, and, and, you know, obviously the Warrior eventually migrated over to the WWF. I forget what he had done before that, but that's where he ends up having his big, his big superstar run. Sting, blonde hair, face mask, all that was kind of developed as that tag team. He was like a California surfer character that was yeah. in the WCW. Yeah. And I don't mean like, you know, like not Matt fucking Riddle, like that type of character. But no, like he, he did the whole woo. And that's kind of where Ric Flair started like fucking around with it too. Like it became a bigger thing because the two of them started doing that with each other, you know? Like Flair always did it, but like he did it as his whole shout thing. Sting then kind of like took it. But again, this is when he's blonde, chop top, fucking looking like, uh, looking like Ivan Drago Sting. Oh, he yeah. ended up winning the mm-hmm. belt during that time frame. I think it was around, I want to say, like maybe 88, 89. I think it was Flair had had the belt. I don't remember if he's the one that ends up dropping it to Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, who, after he left the WWF, goes over the NWA because the WWF just kind of screwed him over at that point. Uh, you know, obviously they give the belt to, to Macho Man, Plans were at that point to eventually renew that rivalry and give him that WWF title, but it just—I think he got hurt, and then they kind of started writing him off. So, so Ricky was like, "Yeah, I'm out." He goes to WCW NWA. He ends up winning the title over there. I, I think, I think Flair ends up getting that belt back, and Sting ends up beating him for it. And then I think this is too when they start pushing Lex Luger into the storyline as a means of fighting against Sting. The Crow version of Sting ended up coming out in response to the NWO. The black and Mm -hmm. white showed up. Sting disappeared for a period of time. He vanished. Nobody knew where Sting went. Sting was gone. You know, and the NWO took over and everybody was like, oh, Whoever is going to combat the fucking W, you know, who's going to, who's going to help us in the NWO? And, you know, everybody was hoping that it would be that fresh face fucking, you know, colorful face. But no, all of a sudden there was this fucking dark fucking brooding motherfucker up in the ceiling all the time, you know, with a baseball bat, you know, because you had to combat evil <laughs> with people. He had to become darkness to fight the darkness. That was the NWO. It was, uh, and then remember for a period of time, the NWO had their version of Sting, and you had two Stings going back and forth for a little bit, too. That's there was the right, NWO they Sting. That every, they thought everybody thought that it was the real Sting, but it was actually not the real Sting. Steve, whatever his name was, was not that character. That was somebody else. So Sting yeah, didn't come that... to WWE until after the two companies had combined after Vince bought them out. And even then, it was a number of years later that he finally showed up. That's why it was such a big deal. He never worked for them. 
even when WCW went under, Sting went to TNA. You know, like he would he mm-hmm. did not did not for the life of him want to work for Vince McMahon. Yeah, because I'm trying to think of that now, and I think it was 1990, um, Halloween Havoc, that Sting beat Flair for that title. Um, okay. And then he lost it a year later in 1991. Um, I, I could be 19, wrong. I'm not even looking at that. 1990 right now, would yeah. make sense because Flair would go over to the WWE for that short bit for a little bit after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and he had that brief run, um, but everybody kind of remembers Sting as that weird crow fucking character. I'm like, no, no, man. <laughs> he had that weird fucking, you know, blonde-haired fucking mask character that he had. Um, yeah, he was, he yeah, was just that. another – he was the ultimate warrior. He was the exact same character. They were, like, like as we remember demolition – you know, paired tag teams back then where the two guys looked very similar, that's what you had. You had Sting, you had the Warrior, and the two of them were, you know, that that, that was what they were going to push. But then you also, you had the Road Warriors who were very similar. You know, so it was like, ultimately, I'm sure that's what the NWA was looking at. And they were saying, well, you know, we, we, we don't really see there being success of another team like this, so what else can we do with you guys and then they realized that, you know, Steve Borden, that's his name. But Steve Borden had a lot mm-hmm. of talent. And more than anything else, he had the talent. But really, he had, he had that drive and willingness to do whatever that company needed him to do. He would put people over. He would make them look good. I mean, don't get me wrong. He fucking won every single one of his matches all the time. But, like, he had yeah. something that would just – it would pop over well. It was a good – he was so the opposite – of what like that old school flair mentality was that it was like a way of getting to the younger kids. And I mean, look, obviously the WWF saw that because they decided to, to take the warrior and try to do that and mimic it there. Yeah. It was just a, a great time during an era of WCW too. Um, and I think, God, am I fucking mistaken? Did Sting, team with Lex Luger at one time to take on the Steiners? Yes. WCW, I want to say that was like 91, 92. There, there were they, they... multiple times. Lex Luger is one of those characters that has gone heel, face, heel, face, you know. Oh, yeah. He, he flip-flopped often. So Sting, on the other hand, was one who was always, he was always a face. You know, like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know what he did in TNA, but, like, I don't ever remember there being a time in in his WCW runs other than that NWO stuff in which he was a heel. He was always, always a good guy. So, him teaming with Luger, he probably teamed with, you know what, he probably teamed with Luger at one point to go against the NWO, and then Luger probably turned on him during that period and revealed that he was part of the NWO. That was the kind of storyline that was going on during those early NWO days, you know? Just like Macho Man. You know, like when when he made the turn. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I fucking love that turn, too. But, yeah, I mean, Lex Luger was trying to cover up the death of Miss Elizabeth. He's like, I didn't kill her. Nope. (laughs) She she died on her own. (laughs) Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I'll never forget that, Listen, that whole controversy. Drugs, drugs are of, bad, if, bro. Drugs are bad. <clears throat> and, you know, people that don't know their limits, you know, unfortunately, I mean, look, it's not even a matter of not knowing their limits, you know. Sometimes people just 
just just overdo it and don't realize it, and their bodies just can't handle it anymore. And it's it's sad, you know. They they were involved in doing shit for for a long period of time, and you know what? Yeah. I, uh, if you've ever watched the interviews with Lex, it truly mm. did break him. It is something oh, that broke him as a human being. You can see the remorse. You can see the sadness. You can see how fucked up it really, like how it really fucked him up badly. It did. It, it left an indelible mark. And, you know, it, it's kind of a shame, like when you think about it, like with Macho Man, Randy Savage, my fucking guy, aside from Roddy uh, back in the day, when he fucking died of a heart attack in a car. But before that, he was in WCW with Gorgeous George, you know, as his ballet. Um, but it's just, it's one of those things where it's just, it's intense. And even look at Chris Benoit. I love Chris Benoit back in the day, back when he was with the Four Horsemen in WCW, then he went to WWE. Mm-hmm. And it's, did he do what he did? Maybe. I mean, there's a lot of controversy about that too, whether or not he did it, uh, you know, but it's just, it's a fucking shame that these talents go the way that they do because, you know, look at Eddie Guerrero, another fucking high talent that the monkey loves. Fucking died in the hotel room by himself. You know, it's, 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 it, wrestling takes a fucking toll on people. Um, and it's a shame, you know, that it happens that way. I would love for Macho Man to be around in this era. You know, I know like Hulk Hogan, you know, was at the Royal Rumble and, and he did that whole thing where it, we were kind of hoping that he would show up, but I was like, oh, God damn, imagine if fucking Macho Man is still alive. And so, he came out. <laughs> uh, absolutely. You know, and again, the Macho Man was, you know, I mean, look, that guy, he was, he was who we saw. You know what I mean? Like, that <laughs> yep. really is what, what it is. And during that era, during that time, there there were clearly a lot of steroids getting bandied about, a lot of drugs mm-hmm. out there, a lot of cocaine, a lot, a lot, a lot of fun fucking things. Um, but, like, you know, I really think, like, you know, the, 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 the biggest issues that he had, you know, I think really that, that, that hurt him in the long run were the steroids. And, you know, oh, the, yeah. the, the clearest indication of that is if you really do, if you go back and watch, watch what Savage looked like, in WrestleMania three, look mm-hmm. at how much larger he was by WrestleMania four when he finally wins the belt in that in the tournament, and then look yep. at what he looks like in WrestleMania five where he comes up against Hogan. Now, don't get me wrong, Hogan looks massive next to Savage because he <laughs> was Hogan's you know six foot fucking six and just ridiculously fucking huge. Savage is mm-hmm. not small by any by any stretch, but he's six two and. You know, he was probably, put it this way, I right now, I'm 5'10", and I'm about 230. Savage <laughs> was 6'2", and about the same weight. You know, and again, mm-hmm. Hogan's 6'6", probably weighing about 325. You know, that's a lot more fucking muscle. That's a lot more mass. You're gigantic. But if you look at Macho in that match, you can see how cut, how defined, how much more muscle was on him than was two years prior, that didn't just come, don't get me wrong, I'm sure he worked out, and anybody will tell you, even if you take steroids, you still got to work your fucking ass off to get that definition, to get that cut. It mm-hmm. just helps you out a lot. Um, but 
he there was a, a massive change. And, you know, being that, that he has this massive heart attack, they find him fucking, you know, I think he had, like, fucking 90% blockage or some shit, man. Like, yeah, that's, it was that, huge. that's scary stuff. And trust me, I know. I, I've been there. You know, I, I was fucking, you know, feeling like shit. Like, uh, you know, out of nowhere, January 2019. You know, like, I, mm-hmm. I, again, I, I'm not, obviously, I'm not in my high school or, or early 20s age fucking shape anymore, but for the most part, like, I don't feel like I've ever, like, gotten myself so far out of it that I'm, like, a fucking slob. You know, I'm not some gigantic, like, I can't fucking move, but, like, you know, 2019, I'm fucking walking up some steps, all of a sudden, I can't catch my breath, and I'm not saying, like, a flight of stairs, I'm saying, like, two or three steps. You know, like, I could feel something was off. You know, sure enough, I get some checks done, and I had 100% fucking blockage. Yeah, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, straight up fucking, like, you, thankfully our hearts, you know, have the ability to try to, like, help you a little bit. And, like, small little, like, channels were, like, opening up and going around the fucking blocked area. But it was only a matter of time before something would fucking happen that would have put me out for good. Um, you know, unfortunately, the savage happened. He was driving, and he fucking crashed into a fucking tree. And... You know, just they, they just could not get to him in time because he had the cardiac event the way he did. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so if you're out there, get checked. You know, if you feel anything that feels weird, get checked. Yeah, I get it. Hot yeah, man. Trust me, it's worth it. It's better than being in the ground. I mean, look what fucking happened to me, man, last year. I had an infection in my leg. And I was fucked up. And I was like, I need to go to the hospital. And I went to the hospital, and they're like, yeah you're really fucked up, not only the infection, but you have diabetes. And I was like, what the fuck? And they're like, yeah, if you just fucking kept up with it, you could have died. And I was like, shit. So, yeah, if something's wrong, fucking check it out. Because, you know, I might not be here if I just fucking ignored what I had. You know, and I'm I'm grateful for those hospital people and the fucking bills. I know they suck, but at the same time, they, they kept me around. I would rather it suck to have to pay those bills and to be dead. Exactly. Guess what? If that's the case, I'm not here to watch bad horror movies. I'm not here to talk wrestling. You know, I'm not here to, to fucking, you know, enjoy my kids and, and my time and the people that I love and, and all of that. So, you know, yeah, even you, silly dog. Um, you, know, <laughs> you having your issue was enough to finally get me out there to see the Winchester. Yeah, and you fucking saw it, and we fucking hung out, and you gave me that great fucking vial of Crystal Lake water that I still have on my fucking TV fucking stand that I get to see every day when I come home, you know, and, and I have that great fucking Bray Wyatt Weatherface fucking print that I hung up in my apartment. Like, it was great. I was like, you know what? We're meant to be here. <laughs> We're meant to keep living. We're not done living yet. Um, but moving away from wrestling, uh Let's talk a little bit about Daredevil. We're, we're sorry, people. We're going to get into political <laughs> yeah, context. So, so how yeah, did you feel the about not here, so We can do that. So moving away from that a little bit, I want to talk about Deadpool and Wolverine. The trailer dropped on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, we're expecting it to come out in July. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Deadpool. This is kind of one of those situations where I wish that the monkey was still a part of the show because I know he's a big Deadpool fan too. But, uh, Ghoul, what do you think about the teaser trailer for Deadpool and Wolverine? 
Well, I mean, obviously I was watching that, that football game that happened this weekend. Um, mm-hmm. I am also first and foremost, a football fan. Uh, so no, I wasn't just watching for Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and just like <laughs> many other people were. I, I know you were, I get it. You're a Swifty. Oh, oh um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, so I'm, watch, I'm watching the game and all of a sudden I see, you know, the logo come up and I'm like, oh, that's right. They said there was going to be a Deadpool 3 trailer. And it was like the quickest little snippet of stuff. And then it was like, yeah, watch the trailer online. And I was like, <laughs> motherfuckers. How could they do that to me? How could they do me dirty like that? So, of course, within like a few minutes, which I, I didn't just go run and watch it because I just, you know, A, I was watching the game and I don't know. I just, just like, no, you know what? I'm not, give, I'm not giving in to your demand. How dare you fucking do that to me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch this on my own time. You know, I should have already seen this damn commercial. Uh, but sure, shit, like, you know, friends were already, like, text, texting me and, oh, did you see the trailer? Did you see the trailer? And I'm like, no, I'll tell you when I, when I do. Uh, yeah, you know, obviously the game was over, and I, I loaded that shit up on my television and was like, all right, I'm going uh, to dive into this. And, oh, no, you know what? I'm sorry. I didn't watch it on my TV. I had my headphones on in bed. That's right. I was next to the cool girl. She was busy doing something else, and I threw it on. I was on my phone. Um, the reason I remember that is, is because when the it came to the pegging line, I, like, mm-hmm. started to crack up, like, like loud, like there was no not laughing at that. You know, and he was like, <laughs> fuck it, you know. Pegging's nothing new for me, but it is for Disney. It was like, oh, okay, okay. So this is still Deadpool. That's what we have. We, we are still going to have it. And, uh, yeah, I think the, the rest of the trailer kind of followed suit. Yeah, I, I watched it online later um, just to kind of get everything that I wanted to get out of the trailer. I was like, I need to pause it. I need to watch it. Um, and I, I just fucking fell in love. I love the fact that Peter and Shatterstar from X-Force from Deadpool 2 are back. They're alive because obviously Deadpool got Cable's, uh, you know, time travel watch that uh, Kiyoki fixed, um, or Yukio rather, fixed at the end of Deadpool 2 so he could bring all these people back, like Vanessa. Um, you know, and they're all just yeah, fucking happy, like... <clears throat> Peter didn't die. So, Shadowstar died. Shadowstar yeah, was dead. And he, he fucking exploded. Yeah, he's back from the party. Big fucking thing of green goo. Mm-hmm. And he's back from the party, which I fucking loved. Um, you know, and watching the trailer, like I, I did a deep dive into it where I wanted to watch it again just to, to pick up everything. Like, they have the one shot of Deadpool in the TVA uh, lair where he salutes Captain America. And they show him on the fucking TV, and that's a comic book lore, where Deadpool in the comics loves Captain America. He's a huge Steve Rogers fan. So I love the fact that they had that in there. Um, And just the fact that it seems like this movie is going to be the TVA wanting Deadpool to fix all the bullshit that happened in Marvel. So, you know, it's fix all the plot points that we have in the Marvel Universe. And Deadpool's going to try, but of course, Deadpool fucks everything up anyway. So I feel like that's going to be what happens. He just fucks everything up. Um, and of course, the seeing Pyro back 
from X2 and X-Men Last Stand was great. Um, there's a tease of Cassandra Nova, and I don't know if you know who that is, um, but that's Professor X's twin that battled him in the fucking womb. You know, and I was like, that could be a fucking, you know, little thing that we might get. But I just, I love the fact that they had the uh, 20th Century Fox logo buried in the fucking desert <laughs> at one point when Deadpool was fighting off all the TVA members. Um, but uh, that's what I wanted to bring up is that I don't really know too much about the TVA because I never saw uh, – the Loki seasons, like, are they a big part of of the universe, MCU? Uh, okay, so the TVA, right? Time Variance Authority. Mm-hmm. Essentially what happens is, okay, you know that scene in Endgame. So anybody listening, mm-hmm. you know, which probably is nobody that has any interest in this anyway, so I'll try to make it as brief as possible, which if you know the show, you know that it's never fucking brief when I say that. All right, so the TVA. <laughs> in, the game, in the movie Endgame, when Loki picks up the, the, the cube and vanishes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that creates, okay. that's not part of what the timeline was supposed to be. Loki is supposed to be brought to Asgard. Remember, at the end of... Because remember, where that happens in Endgame was the event, the end of the, the Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. Following me? So we know from the end yeah. of the Avengers film that Loki ends up going back to Asgard. He's held in the prison. Dark World happens. All of that shit. Mm-hmm. So because he takes off with the cube... It creates a branch timeline. The TVA, okay. their entire job is to nullify these timelines. So as soon as like okay. Loki does this, he beams off, right? A door opens up. Person walks out, basically arrests him. You know, they have technology mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense. He can't get away from them, all this and that. It brings him to the TVA. So essentially that is the TVA's job is to just eliminate branching timelines the problem is is some people look at that and they're like well by killing these timelines you're murdering billions of people you know they're not seeing it as it's 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 helping things they're seeing it as it's it's murder essentially what it is though is if there's too many timelines you start getting these these breaches that occur between them and we've kind of saw some of that stuff coming up in Spider-Man uh, and some of it in, in Multiverse of Madness uh, where you have mm-hmm. uh, oh, uh, he says remember his world was all fucked up in the one where evil Doctor Strange was um, mm-hmm. brought the two worlds together and that became I forget the fucking what, the, what they call it uh, brain not, not working at the moment so <laughs> So basically, though, what I what I have the feeling is is they're gonna because it, it doesn't look like the TVA. The TVA ultimately was revealed to have been run by uh, He Who Remains, who was Kang the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But by ki- by killing Kang at the end of season one, they set off a multiversal war because basically you kill Kang, the TVA ceases to exist. 
all of these timelines and branches start to, to, to branch out and start to exist again. Each one of them has a version of Kang. All versions of Kang are terrible. Uh, well, some are terrible in how good they are. Uh, in other words, you know, by being like the ultimate fucking bastion of good, I'm going to be like, you know, the ultimate authority and still become evil. Um, so no matter what, Kang is just not, quote unquote, um, this right. is where they were going with everything. Unfortunately, with Jonathan Major's issues and all that shit, we don't know if that's going to... He, he who remains is now he who remains to be seen. Um, <laughs> is, is, is really what it comes down to. Uh, yeah, I think this is going to kind of be a parody of that. This version of the TVA doesn't look the same. The colors are a little bit off. The way the outfits look are mm-hmm. a little bit different. But basically, they have, te- they have technology to jump anywhere and any place because they don't exist within any real reality um, from what we've been taught about them. Now, I don't know if that still exists because of the things that happened in Loki season two. Um, So yeah, for all we know, this version of Wade that we see at the beginning where Shatterstar is still alive, that might not even be the Deadpool that we know from the original Deadpool films you know what i mean that could be another timeline and shatterstar is alive and for all we know deadpool's going to show up and kill that version of deadpool we don't know exactly what it is that he's going to be doing or who he's going to be hunting and why he's going to be hunting them i don't know if he's working with the tva against the tva you know maybe a little bit of both There's, there's a lot that is out there um but I do like some of the uh, the Easter eggs that were in there. We saw Pyro, like you mentioned. We see the uh, you know the back of Wolverine with his yellow and blue outfit, which is pretty far out too. You know we've never we have not seen that yet. Um, right. You know, being that when when they made the uh, the X Men movies, they decided to go with uh, that black leather look instead because they felt like that was more realistic. I know everybody thought they saw Doctor Doom in that one scene. Uh, A lot I mean, of people did. No. Con- there's been no confirmation nor denial as far as who that is. I don't believe that's Doom. No, uh, it's a, I don't think it is either. I, th- I don't think they would have introduced him through this trailer. You know, I think mm-hmm. Doom is somebody that they're holding off on. They want to make sure that he gets introduced properly. I think this is just some dude who's wearing a mask and, like, you know, like a, a ragtag outfit. Could this be some variation of Doom, though? I mean, it's, it's always possible. Who, who really knows? Um... You know, I know there was the, the the scene where everybody thinks that it's the back of Professor X's head. Could be. It would make yeah, sense. I, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's fucking the X-Men universe. And I'm sure somebody's going to pop up somewhere. The Captain America bit, though, I think out of all of the Easter eggs, yes, obviously Wade is a huge Captain fan. Loves Captain America. But. Does. And yeah, I, yeah. What I do also take that as, because if you look at that screen, I believe two of those three shots from Winter Soldier. Yeah, I completely agree. Which is, even though it is, quote, unquote, the first Disney Marvel movie, it was actually written and ready to go before the Disney takeover. It was just released after the takeover. So 
Mm-hmm. In a lot of minds, it's kind of like, well, that was really the last Marvel film because everything after that is a Disney Marvel film. And, you know, I mean, I think everybody knows my feelings on Winter Soldier. I mean, to this day, I still think it's the best fucking movie that oh, they've yeah. ever put out. You know, besides Infinity War, and obviously you need Endgame to, to complete that storyline. But, you know, I still think front to back, you know, start to finish, Winter Soldier is by far the best fucking movie they made as far as films go. Oh, I completely agree. We've always agreed upon that. Um and the fact that uh, you have Deadpool at that one moment in the trailer going, what the fuck? And I was like, all right, so we're getting curses in a, a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. I'm all about that. Um, I definitely think it, it's, it's making a lot of cons to that um, as far as, as Marvel goes. Cause I think like when he says, like, oh, Marvel Jesus, it's like, yeah, like – it's completely I fucking, fucking died. At this point. I died. You know what? When he, yeah, when he says that, yeah. He's like, I'm the Messiah. Okay? I was like, holy fuck. Like, that, that's what I want to see. That's what I really hope. I really hope that this retains that same level of humor, that same level of comedy that we got, that we got more of in the first Deadpool movie. Because as much as Absolutely. we got it in the second Deadpool movie, I did feel like the second Deadpool movie played more like a comic book movie than the first one did. I feel like the first one made sure it was a comedy first. Oh, completely. And uh, there is that <clears throat> one point in the beginning of the trailer where they show Wade's birthday. Um, if you see the photo uh, that's on his cake, if you notice it, there is a gap in between Shatterstar and Peter, where Brad Pitt's character is supposed to be. <laughs> I was like, I would love that. If, if they, <laughs> I if, love it. If they just threw that the fuck in there. And also on the TV screens, because I pause it a lot, there is a, a photo of Deadpool in a suit. Because uh, when they won the Emmy for Welcome to Wrexham, uh, of Ryan Reynolds and um, his partner, uh, he put on the Deadpool suit and a tuxedo, uh, a suit rather, to accept the award, and that's on one of the TVA screens. I was like, so they really just had to put that in there last second, this trailer. So I'm just looking forward to it. Um, I just, I, I can't wait. I just, I really can't wait to see what they do. Um, is that bald person going to be Cassandra Nova? I would love it to be Cassandra Nova because that's an extra fucking added bit. Um you know, Xavier's fucking twin that tried to kill him in the womb. I was like, I just, you know, there's a lot to look forward to. And I love the fact that they didn't really show you Hugh Grant, uh, you know, not Hugh Grant, uh, Hugh Jackman, um, as Wolverine. Just had the knives coming out. I'm okay, I'm okay. And just running away from Wolverine because I was happy Mm -hmm. they didn't show too much. You know, just give me that tease that he's in it. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. Well, I mean, again, we know he's in it. I mean, the fucking title of the movie is Wolverine is Deadpool and Wolverine. So, I mean, and if that if that doesn't scream late nineties fucking comic book, I don't know what does. You know, so and, and yeah, the Cassandra Nova thing, man, that that really is that really is out there for them to go that. And again, if they're going multiverse, yeah. they can easily do it because they can always easily eliminate her as well. Um, yeah, talk about that that weird period in like the mid two thousands when they were coming up with fucking some crazy storylines with that shit, man. Oh, there was so much of that. Um, 
And there is, I mean, we have to get into movers tonight, obviously, but I want to talk about one more thing before we get into that because this all ties in with what we're talking about with Marvel and Deadpool and the kind of next generation of the Marvel Universe. Um, it's official. The Fantastic Four are returning to the big screen on July 25th, 2025. Pedro Pascal will be playing Dr. Reed Richards, Vanessa Kirby as Sue Storm, Ebon Mosk Barak as Ben Grimm, The Thing, and Joseph Quinn, everybody might remember, as Eddie Munson of Stranger Things as Johnny Storm. So it's happening. Yes. It's, it's coming next year. I'm fucking looking forward to it. I think that's a pretty good cast, you know, and they released a, a little bit of a kind of comic book photo of the group uh, for Fantastic Four. Um, I still don't know where I sit on Pedro Pascal playing Dr. Reed Richards because I feel like Ian Greffold has just come back. Because to me, that's the ultimate Dr. Reed Richards. But the rest of the cast, I'm, I'm kind of okay with. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I, I know a, a friend of mine. Yeah, she even bring up the Fantastic Four. I get tired. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I know a buddy of mine has issues with uh, Vanessa Kirby in the role. Um, I don't. I you know I think uh, I, I, I think out of everybody, I think Pedro is is probably the one that I just. I don't want to say don't like, but I just don't necessarily like just want to see. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not because I want to see owning your fud come back or anything like that, or Miles Teller even. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, it's just, I, I think I'm just kind of worn down on Pedro Pascal. You know, it's mm-hmm. like he did fucking everything. Like, out of nowhere, like, this guy just started popping up fucking here and there. It's just like, what's his name, man? The uh, Oscar Isaac. You know, him too. Oh, yeah. Like, that yeah. fucking guy is in, like, every Disney fucking production imaginable. And, like, I know Pedro isn't in every Disney production, but I just feel like he's fucking everywhere. And, like, everywhere I turn, there's, like, something with him in it. And, again, I don't dislike the guy. It's not that. I just feel like it's kind of like, all right, can we, like, maybe get just, like, a little bit of a break? Does he need to be, like, a main fucking character in every single pop culture type of fucking, <laughs> yeah. you know, universe? Like, uh, the guy's in D.C., and, like, that's the only thing Oscar Isaac hasn't been in yet. He hasn't been in the D.C. universe, so they got to get him over there. Um, you know, and, and the rest of them, yeah. Like, I, again, my buddy, his big issue was, you know, like, he doesn't find Vanessa Kirby attractive. To him, you know, Susan Storm, Susan Richards needs to be hot, you know. And, you know, it's funny. <laughs> but as somebody that, like, started reading comic books in, like, the late 80s, early 90s, like, A, I always found the Fantastic Four boring. Um, oh, me too, yeah. You know, they were just, it was an older comic. So, like, by the time mm-hmm. I was getting into comics, I want to say their issues were, like, numbering into the 300s, maybe even close to, like, they might have been at the fours, but I think it was in the threes at that point. So, A, it was a lot of, like, it, was, it would have been a lot of storylines to try to catch up on. Um but B, knowing that they were like, you know, and I know the X-Men 2 was, was started in the 60s and everything, but like the Fantastic Four just felt very vanilla. And like at no point did I ever look at like Susan Storm, the Invisible Woman, or Susan Richards, you know, the Invisible Woman, 
as like mm-hmm. somebody that would be attractive. I always saw her as a mom, you know, and not like yeah. a milk, but like as a, oh, a motherly a mom. mom character, you know. So, like even when Jessica Alba got cast in the role, like a, it was like, okay, she doesn't even like match like what the characters <laughs> ever like looked like. And yep. then, you know, it was like, all right, well, when that didn't necessarily get received right, they decided to go with those terrible contacts and make her hair fucking blonde to the sequel, and that was even worse. <laughs> yeah. um, like, that was really bad. So, I mean, you know, like, I see Kirby, and, like, no, I don't necessarily see her as, like, a mom, but I also don't see her as attractive. At least with Jessica Alba, I was like, she's hot. Um and like I, whatever they did with Mara Rooney or which are Rooney Mara, uh, no, was it? Kate. Yeah, Mara Rooney. No, it was Kate. Yeah. Kate. No, it was Kate Mara. Kate Mara. Yeah, well, Rooney okay. Mara and Kate yeah. Mara are sisters, but uh, Kate Mara okay. was the one that was in, in the Fantastic Four, and she's just too like waifish. Um, for me, anyway, I'm sure plenty of people find her attractive. Uh, um, yeah. Sorry, uh, <laughs> saying like, she's not. Uh, you know. The other two, yeah, I mean, listen, the other two are, like, basically CGI characters. You know, that that's really what it's going to come mm-hmm. down to. Ben Grimm is a fucking CGI, so it really doesn't matter what that actor looks like. You know, we're going to see him as Ben Grimm for however long, but he's going to be a big fucking pile of rocks. And, you know, yep. the Human Torch, yes. I hope... I hope Joseph Quinn can, like give us that. You know what I mean? Like Johnny Storm needs to be a hot shot. He needs to be like, yeah. I want to be fucking front page every time. You know, I want to, like, just like we kind of saw, you know, we saw What's-His-Face do it, you know, in, in the original two movies. Uh, I, Chris I Evans. Captain America now. Chris Evans, yeah. You know, but just like we saw him, you know, like, hey, we should be selling this. Hey, we need to be the face. We need to do this. We need to always be doing something because that was Johnny Storm, you know. So, uh, A, we need the relationship to work between those two, you know, Storm and and Thing. Mm -hmm. But, B, you know, he needs to to represent it right. And, again, everything really is going to come down to the villain. It's going to come down to how that gets painted. And I I guess, really, with Susan Storm, we need Pedro to make us love her. That, that, more than everything else, right? I need to believe I agree. that Reed Richards loves Susan Storm. You know, like I, I got that in the first, the first movie with uh, Yoni Griffith mm-hmm. and Jessica Alba. And how could you not? She's fucking Jessica Alba at the hottest in her fucking career <laughs> yeah. at that point. Um, I think everybody on the fucking planet was in love with her then. Uh, but like again, Miles Teller and Kate Mara, I never felt any chemistry between the two of them. Like, at all. No. So, you know, that, that's, that's necessary. That has to be there. That chemistry has to be there for this team to work. Yeah, that whole fucking movie was a disaster. But, yeah, like, Ian Gruffold and Jessica Alba, they just fucking worked because Ian Gruffold just fucking worshipped the ground that Jessica Alba walked on, and it showed. And that's what worked about oh, The true. Rise of the Silver Surfer. And that fucking movie. I mean, Michael Chiklis says Ben Grimm. Eh, it's all right. <laughs> you know, he, he's a fucking rock guy. <laughs> you know, just get somebody that kind of works in that material. But uh, before we get into the movie, um, 
the one thing I wanted to bring up that we didn't talk about Deadpool is that one of the people that's in the pyro group that people think it's going to be is Johnny Storm. And they think that Chris Evans might make a cameo as Johnny Storm in Pyro's group. And I would fucking love that. <laughs> you know, have a special cameo by Chris Evans as Johnny Storm, you know, as part of Pyro's group. I think that would be a big payoff, but we'll have to see it. Yeah, I mean, again, the, the, the thing that opens up with the multiverse is that you can take these actors and shift them around. Have, you can make them play all the characters completely, and really there's no – what reason is there to not? So, you know, we could have a fucking universe in which Chris Evans, you know, became Iron Man. Yeah. You know, any of these things are possible because that's, that's what the multiverse opens up. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think that would be fun because – at one point, the idea was to uh, to merge those two universes, the X-Men and the uh, the Fantastic Four that we knew with them uh, were supposed to exist in the same uh, same world. They just they squashed it. They they were going to do it, and then they decided not to. Which disappointing, but you know they they obviously you know have a plan of what they're doing. But um, all right, so, so either way, the, the Surfer so, was so bad that they decided that they were going to. Uh, they were not going to go that route. Plus, the X-Men movies were not, you know, after the last stand, they were like, yeah, this is uh, this is not working out very well. Oh, the last fucking stand was pretty bad. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, no matter how you look at it. Just, I was too, believe me. I saw it in the theater as well. You know, just like I was there for Spider-Man 3. I'm like, this is going to be it, guys. Spider-Man 3, it's going to be great. Nope. Fucking movie sucked. <laughs> you know, that's that's who we are as these comic book fans. We just want the best and sometimes we get shit. Um, but hopefully, uh, you know, with Deadpool and Wolverine coming out and the Fantastic Four coming out in twenty twenty five, maybe we have something to work with. I mean, I'm just glad it's not John Krasinski again as uh Reed Richards, as we saw in the multiverse of madness. We're like, it's the fucking guy from the office. Sucks. He's not Reed Richards. <laughs> oh, I mean, that, that, you know that that was obviously fan service. You know, people. Mm-hmm. He does. He does have a look that I I get mm-hmm. why I get why could see him as being Reed Richards. You know, I I I get from your standpoint too. <laughs> you know, it's 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 John Krasinski. You know, and that uh. And that that doesn't work for that purpose, you know. It's Jim, um, you know, yeah. as, as anybody that watches The Office would know. Uh, but you know, it's funny. <laughs> funny enough, speaking of John Krasinski, did you catch the trailer for the uh, the new Quiet Place prequel? I did. Yeah, I mean, I I've only saw the first one, but looks like oh, it could okay. be good. You know, I oh, I never yeah. went back to see the second one. Oh really? Okay. Okay, so maybe we'll have to pick it for the show at some point. Yeah, I felt that the uh, the second yeah, one uh, was was better than the first, in my opinion, anyway. And you know, from how my memory is of everything, uh, but you know, I am actually that that is one of those. This is one of those few times where I am interested in a prequel because, mm-hmm. well, I might not have loved the execution of a quiet place. I did like the world and the creatures that it introduced. So it'll be fascinating mm-hmm. to see how everything got 
to where it was by that time, you know, so. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it might be good, but like I said, I, I didn't see the second one, but apparently this is a prequel, so it's like, eh, you don't need mm-hmm. to really see the second one to make it work. Uh, but uh, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what happens because I, I just, I don't know. Like I told you, uh, we talked about on the show, like The Quiet Place, it's just kind of just, okay, you know, it was fine. You know, I, I didn't see why people were just losing their minds over it. I just thought it was an okay horror movie. You know, but, uh, you know, maybe with the prequel, it could do something. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, my big worry with The Quiet Place, you know, and, and I remember voicing it when that, that film was on its its way out, you know, coming mm-hmm. out. Um, my worry with finally seeing it was that it was going to disappoint me based on the amount of hype that had been built up about how great the movie was. Um, you know, when I tried to, to do my best to, to temper my expectation, knowing that, you mm-hmm. know, again, us being the, the way we are, seeing the amount of movies that we see, that, you know, we're, we're jaded. We're jaded when it comes to, to these yeah, films. Um, so, so it's kind of hard to fall into that level of hype when, you know, it's just another horror movie. Uh, but like I said, I did enjoy the world and the setting that it, it was introducing. So, so you know, for me, I just, it was just that I first movie boring at times. And I feel like the second movie kind of ups the ante with that a little bit. You get a little more action in it and, you know, things move along in a different clip. So, it. uh it's scratched my itch better, but you know that being said, I don't remember vi- revisiting it. I don't know if I've seen it twice or once. I think I, I think I might have. I know I watched it once at least, obviously, but uh, I think I went back to watch it a second time, and I don't remember if we finished it or if we stopped it and just didn't finish it or or what. But you know, it's uh, yeah. Again, like I said, I'm looking forward to the prequel. I typically don't like prequels, but. This is that rare instance where I do feel like a prequel works because you're going to – it's like if, you know, your first movie was Day of the Dead and mm-hmm. Night of the Living Dead gets brought out, you know, a couple years after that. Like, I want to see how this whole thing started just because, you know, I don't need to know where the characters were that I got introduced at a later point. Oh, that's it's a great example. You know, you see Day of the Dead, and you're like, wow, I fucking love this movie. Uh, where did they start? And then you go back to 1968's Night of the Living Dead, and you're like, oh, all right. Well, it's like, well, no. You know, with, with Day of the Dead, it's just so character-driven, and it's so advanced for its time, where you go back to Night of the Living Dead, you're like, oh, they're calling ghouls, and it's, it's okay, I guess. You know, so... Yeah, it's it's definitely kind of a weird uh, situation to be in. But you know what, Ghoul, I have my pom-poms out and my spirit fingers are ready to fucking go. Uh, We have a movie to talk about tonight, Bring It On, Cheer or Die, from 2022, directed by Karen Lamb. So why don't you hit us with a synopsis and what you thought about it? Bring It On, Cheer or Die. Uh... Synopsis: A group of <laughs> teenage girls that uh, that are part of the cheer squad for the uh, the Diablos. They uh, 
you know, they're, they're, they're not allowed to, to fly. They're not allowed to, to do what cheerleaders do in competitive cheerleading, all due to an accident that occurred in 2002 regionals. Well, they decide that they're going to go practice, and they're going to show everybody that they, can, that they can do this. Sorry, this is 20 years later. My bad. So after 20 years, they're not allowed to, to cheer properly. See, I'm fucking it all up, man. That's why I don't do the synopsis <laughs> stuff. Um, so anyway, they go to a gym. They're going to practice. They're going to fly. But one by one, they're being killed off. And I think it's because they need to play a game. Will cheer or die. Indeed. Um, <laughs> you know, I remember at some point, you know, the dean bringing up that, you know, that that Bring It On, okay, Bring It On was going to to make a film, and that they were going to actually dip their toes into the horror realm. Uh, you know, and when he said that, I'm not going to lie, it, it, it piqued it piqued my interest because. As weird as it may sound, I am a Bring It On fan. You know, the first mm-hmm. film is actually a really good movie. It is funny. It is sarcastic. Mm-hmm. It makes great commentary on, like, late 90s high school tality. Um, the dialogue in it is fucking brilliant. Like you said earlier, spirit fingers, like Martin Short fucking popping up in like a fucking cameo role and doing that. Like there were just so many like little things that occurred in that movie that were absolutely fucking brilliant. And this is coming from who then was like a 20 something year old dude. This this comes out in 2000. I'm 22 years old. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, as a 46-year-old dude, I still love looking at girls in cheerleading costumes. But, like, oh, you, know, you, you, got, you know, you got Kirsten Dunst. Never really my type. Elijah Dushu, no. very <laughs> much my type. <laughs> yep. That was my girl. You know, and that was the thing. Like, all of these characters were characters, you know? You had you know, Gabrielle Union. You know, like there were, there were mm-hmm. just all these, these people in this film that just made this, this world just breathe. And I know you had all these sequels that came out afterwards. I think all of them were like straight to DVD. Um, I had no idea that we were on the seventh Bring it on me. I knew knew of like at least two, maybe three of those other sequels. Mm -hmm. If you would have asked me, I would have said that Cheer or Die was like the fourth, at most the fifth movie in this franchise. Zero idea that this got to number seven. Like that is reaching, and I guess it's just like those American Pie movies. You know, you have all those fucking made-for-DVD American Pie films, Naked Mile, and, and all that stuff, and, and some of which are funny. They really are. Some of them are decent. You know, um, mm-hmm. I, I like Dwight Stifler. Dwight Stifler made me laugh quite a bit. <laughs> um, those two movies in particular, I really enjoyed. But. Uh, but like I, so, like, yeah, again, I wanted 
really, really like this movie. I wanted it to have, you know, I wanted it to have at least that whip-smart dialogue, or at least an iota of it, that the Bring It On series had. But if you're not going to do that, then at least I wanted it to be a serviceable horror movie. Unfortunately, I feel like this movie is never smart enough to really get back to its parentage as a Bring It On film. Mm -hmm. And because they didn't realize that Bring It On came out 20 fucking... This is 2022. This movie's made during the pandemic. But I'm sorry. Original Bring It On came out 22 years prior. 22 years Mm -hmm. ago. Which means your audience, okay, let's say Bring It On was targeting your 12 to fucking 16-year-olds, you know, realistically more 12 to 20-something-year-olds. You know, these people are now in their fucking 30s and 40s. We're plenty mature to handle a mature movie. So, like, if you were going to do this, this needed to be R-rated. It needed to be sarcastic. It needed to be bitter. It needed to be all those things that the first Bring It On were, while still being a serviceable sports film. Because, you know, cheerleading is a sport. Um, And it needed to be a bloody horror movie. You needed it to actually have actual gore, real deaths, not cutaways, not like, you know, cheat shots where we're going to get a scream and – you know, cut scene, go to something else. You know, this movie, the first, and I know I'm babbling, I'm sorry. The first quarter of this <laughs> film to the first half of it really drags. It starts to pick up a little bit after the midway point. Like once they're in the school and some of the deaths start to roll around, it does get good. Um, the, uh, the, the, the one kid in particular, Mateo, he's fucking hysterical. Mm-hmm. He's got some great fucking lines in the movie, and, and you know, like, he, he always got me laughing a couple of times. You know, there, there, there are. There are little things that happen. You know, the one chick saying, you know, she was like, uh, she goes, oh, if this is a Saw movie, you know, just so you know, I'm not going to cut off my leg. Like, that, <laughs> that kind of writing. That kind of writing needed to be threaded through the entire film. And it just wasn't. There wasn't enough references to horror films to really make this feel like something that was supposed to be a love letter to that. You know, and like I said, it wasn't smart enough to be a Bring It On movie either. So, yeah, the main chick is fucking uh, a smoke show, though, so she's really hot. Oh, Abby is fucking <laughs> so hot. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, Kept I, me going. Whole film. Yeah, I, I felt the same way as you did. Like, you know, and I was... Happy to see Rebecca McKendry uh, was a co-writer on the movie because uh, we've covered um, Glorious on the show and <clears throat> we've actually had her on a guest uh, on the show. Sorry, Rebecca, uh, we, do, to, we do love you. Don't get me wrong. It, yeah, it, it's not better. the dialogue. <laughs> it's just, it's it's just not a great movie. Uh, I was hoping it for it to be gorier, and it wasn't. Like it just kind of pulled away from the gore. Um, you know, but like you said, Mateo was great, and the, the characters of Quincy were great. But yeah, just you know, it, it could have been more, and it wasn't. Um, but like you were saying, Ghoul, the movie uh, starts in 2002 at a cheerleading competition. Uh, the Diablos are going up against the Green Knights, and Sandra is being the one that has to go on top of the pyramid and make it work. But of course, she is not 
a fan of the cheerleading captain. The cheerleading captain's not a fan of her. And when the pyramid happens, the cheerleading captain knocks her off, and that's what ends up killing Sandra. So that's not very good, but we're setting up what's going to happen for later in the movie. Um, once she dies, it's just, let's cut to 20 years later. So we have to cut to that. Um, and we cut to the Diablos now 20 years later, and we focus on Abby, who is the co-captain of the Diablos, and her and Michaela are co-captains. Um, and we cut to a football game where the Diablo football team sucks. Um, they're compared to the Green Knights, who have a great cheerleading squad. And at that game, we see Scott chatting up Abby. They dated once, and it wouldn't be great if they got back together because Scott is a notorious cheater. Uh, she should go out with Evan instead, who looks like a sexy Unabomber. Um, on the sidelines, freshman Evie causes one of the cheerleaders to trip and fall, and Abby finds out that Evie wanted to be a cheerleader, but her sister, Paige, got onto the squad instead. So, like the ghoul had said, the whole thing is, is that they can't really do stunts. Um, Principal Simmons doesn't want them to do that because, you know, it could be a liability, so we don't want them to do that. Um, so while they can't do any of this, we find out that Silent Stu, Mateo, and Quincy are also involved, but Quincy turns out to be a big old stoner. The squad performs a stunt. Principal Simmons sees this and is not happy at all. Later in her office, she speaks with Abby and Michaela. She knows that they're recruited her daughter Paige into the squad to curry favor from her, but the girl's like, no, no, we actually like Paige. She's cool. Um, Principal Simmons won't disband the squad as long as they stick to keeping one foot on the ground at all times, despite the regionals are coming up. The two girls decide they need to figure out a place to practice and do these stunts because Principal Simmons, she's not going to be at regionals. So what the fuck? You know, let's just do some stunts. We'll practice. Let's go to the old abandoned Elkmore High School. We've got 24 hours. Let's practice. We're going to pull off some great moves and Simmons won't be any worse for the wear. So after school, Scott tries to make plans with Abby, but she says he has practice. Scott notices Evan nearby and thinks she has a thing for him. Abby walks away from him to get to her car. Evan surprises her, gives off the stalker vibes. He doesn't want her to get back with Scott, and he tells her that if she ever wants to talk, he's around. You know, the fucking Joaquin you know, Phoenix vibes from American Beauty. Where he's just oh, like, look no. at that shopping bag flying in the air. Like, it's weird. Oh, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not Joaquin Phoenix. That's Ricky Fitz. That's, uh, that's, uh, fuck, what's his name, man? It's not Joaquin Phoenix. It's, uh, uh, come on. Uh, I'll get to it. But, uh, you know, it's All funny. Right. You know, when, uh, mm-hmm. when a movie. Uh, Wes Bentley. Wes Bentley played Ricky Fitz. Oh, okay. Yep. yep. Um, talking about the, the, the most beautiful thing he's ever seen, which was the, the plastic bag floating uh, around. And again, I, I That's right. It was Wes Bentley, yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't like the Phoenix. So, you know when you know a movie's bad, right? When So, like, on Xbox, when, like, I go to select movies and stuff like that, like, I'll go, I hit the A button, it brings me to, to whatever the movie is, uh, where I have a couple of options, you know, purchase it, buy it, rent it, you know, you get an idea of the synopsis, if I press down on the uh, the controller, 
it'll uh mm-hmm. it'll bring me to like uh other films that like I might like that are similar to this movie. It'll bring me like a cast list, shit like that. If you hit up, it will present the trailer for the movie so you can watch it. Mm-hmm. Well, I've learned that when a movie is really fucking bad, well, or at least how you know a movie's really bad, when there is no trailer for the movie. <laughs> when instead of a trailer, they actually just present you with a scene for the movie. Like it literally <laughs> just cuts right into the scene in which they walk out of the school and she goes walking, you know, she talks to the boyfriend and like, that's literally the scene where it ends, where he like starts to, you know, they walk in their opposite directions and, and then she gets startled by, by Evan. Mm-hmm. And that's where it cuts. It's like, <gasps> and you know, cuts <laughs> and it's like, Wow, like you couldn't even cut a fucking trailer for this, and like you know, like it's like, uh oh, I'm in trouble. I'm in real, oh. real trouble. It's bad because I couldn't even find a fucking poster for the movie to post on our talking terror page. They didn't have a fucking poster, so it's just like, oh, it's a sci-fi one, where it's just like sci-fi new movie. So you know, it's going to be fucking bad when they don't even have a poster. Well, you're going to take a picture um, from Wikipedia. Yeah, I mean, I, I pulled one from the sci-fi thing where it's like, sci-fi, new movie. But um, that night, Michaela is at her home, and she hears some noises outside, and she doesn't know what's going on. But she is eventually taken aback by the killer, as we find out, and smothered to death by a pom-pom. So she's taken out of the picture. Uh, the next day, the Diablo is boarded a bus to head over to the abandoned high school. Abby notices Michaela is missing as well as two others, but they need to get moving so they can get to practice. For the next 24 hours, they need to focus as everyone needs to sit under their cell phones. Um, Tori wants to be exempt from this because she needs to talk to Danny, her boyfriend, who loves tacos just like her, but everyone needs to surrender their phones. At the abandoned school... I I love Tori's taco because besides fucking... So good. besides, Besides Abby here... Tori's the other mm-hmm. one that I was like, Fucking this nice. is why I'm watching this movie. This is why I'm oh, exactly. watching this movie. <laughs> That's why we're involved. That's why we're doing it. Because Tori was so hot. Abby was so fucking hot. I had such a huge crush on Abby. Um, but they arrive at the gym, and Quincy pulls out a boombox so they can practice music since they surrender their cell phones. Cue the practice montage. During this, Regan falls from the top of the pyramid and hurts her ankle. It's possibly twisted. We also find out that Abby and Michaela brought back cheerleading to the high school when it was abandoned following Sandra's death in 2002. Seeing that Regan's ankle is looking pretty bad, Cindy, uh, Sydney goes looking for the cell phone bag, but it's missing. Hello, and also, Sydney. Quincy forgot to bring in ice, so Tori goes off in search of ice packs for Sydney's foot. Outside, it's night, and Evan arrives at the school as Tori walks the halls in search of ice. Coming up empty-handed... She's confronted by someone dressed in the Diablo's mascot costume. This person throws a knife at her, and she's stabbed in the leg. The mascot then takes a blood pressure cuff and wraps it around her neck, and it begins to pump up. The mascot also uses a paper cutter on her fingers as we hear her scream. She's gone. Which, again, like, this is why, Mm -hmm. if you're going to do all of this, if you're really (laughs) going to do all of this, then you need to show all of this, because this is fun. You know, like, again, like, you cut, 
through your discussion here, I want to say you probably eliminated what, like forty minutes of the movie, because it probably took mm-hmm. about forty something minutes to get us to this school. Um, you know, so like once these deaths start to happen, like it's funny. I almost feel like you know, I I wonder if out there is there some. I know there's gonna obviously listen. This is a sci-fi channel movie or whatever it is. There's no director's cut. You know, hell, <laughs> fucking. You know, you look at the Wikipedia, there's not even a plot. You know, somebody wrote the synopsis. Nobody bothered filling out what the plot of this movie is. Um, (laughs) So I know there's no, like, there's no cut of this movie that has these these gore scenes in there. But, like, I I just feel like whoever made this movie, they... They wanted to go there. They knew what they could do, but, Mm -hmm. like, they just were not permitted to do it, and that sucks. I agree. It it felt like a borderline PG-13 movie that you would see in theaters. Um, You could tell that they wanted to go extra, but they couldn't. They were restricted for some whatever reason, but um, so... Back in the gym, Quincy decides to go out and get some air while Sydney decides to go pee. Outside, we see Evan talking to someone and saying that he wants to be there for Abby's moment of truth. Somebody well, should have so, went with her as a bathroom buddy. <laughs> right. Nobody wanted to. She had to go by herself. Uh, she was so funny. Sydney and Quincy, she was. She was great, she and remi- I was kind of sad and, to see what happened to her. Yeah, and it's funny because she actually reminded me very much of uh, – Fuck. Of course, like, I'm, I'm totally drawing a, a blank on the name now, too. Um, she was also an American beauty. She's the one that uh, Kevin Spacey's character has oh. got all the hot. Mina Savari? Mina Savari. She had, like, that similar look. And, like, you mm-hmm. know, she's playing, like, a, a, a ditzy vibe, very much like an American Pie character. You know, like, that's where, like, I feel like this girl could have easily fit in with that. And, like, that's the kind of tone I feel like the characters in this movie should have all had. You know, like, they just did not do enough of a job of, like, making them more, like, uh, like again, they just didn't feel like there was any, like, stereotype characters. And, like, that's that's something that's missing because, again, that is in the original Bring It On. You know, Elijah Dushku is the bad girl rebel who doesn't – she doesn't want to do cheer, but she's going to prove everybody wrong that she can. You know, like, stuff like that. And, again, that's – like, I don't know. I, I know McKenzie and them handled the screenplay. They didn't mm-hmm. write the story. So they were working right. – you know, with somebody else's story. So, I mean, you can't fault them for for working with what they had, you know? Yeah, you know, and I just, I wanted to be gorier. I wanted to be more bloody. Um, I wanted the characters, like you had said, to be more stereotypical and more fun. Like, I feel like Mateo was the best example of a stereotypical character that I enjoyed. Fucking um, So... Jackie and Mateo decide to go and play a prank on Tori because they want to have some fun with her. Sydney makes her way into the bathroom and ends up getting her foot caught in a makeshift bear trap. The killer mascot shows up and forces her head into a toilet before pulling off the seat and beating her to death with it. Well, I love it because she pushes. I love love that because you know how many times I've seen, like, somebody get drowned in a toilet bowl and it's like, just flush. Flush the fucking bowl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man. 
It was a lot of fun, and I was enjoying it. I love the fact that the mascot looking at this big fucking fat devil, and it was doing as well. <clears throat> but Jackie and Mateo get lost while walking around the school. Quincy finds out that the doors to leave the school have been chained shut as the killer mascot appears and shoots a dart into his neck. Jackie and Mateo mm-hmm. see Quincy on the other end of the hall, and they think he's just being stoned, making out with the glass door as the killer mascot kills him with a fire axe. Um, and they just think that he's just messing around, and they leave. Again, it's one of those sequences where I wanted more blood. I was like, ah, you know, it's so cool. You have a fire axe. Let's do some blood, but they they can't do it. And I think, like you had said, Ghoul, I think this is hampered down by the fact that, you know, the production values and being on sci-fi, like they had to kind of mute a lot of the violence. Um, but it would have been cool to see a lot more blood. Um, I mean, they even made sure want- to give us a red light in that room. You know, to be like, mm-hmm. okay, we'll make the room red because, uh-huh. Yeah, it just, it was like, you got this moment, let's do it. And they're like, no, we're not going to really show it to you. Um, and, but and then meanwhile. Like, and then they even tried to, like, play it funny by having the other characters, like, across the quad watching this occur. And, like, even, like, that dialogue just isn't there you know, so it's like, okay, like, uh-huh. Like, is Mateo licking the glass? Is he making out with the window right now? Like, I, 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 not Mateo, uh, the Quincy. Um, Quincy, yeah. You know, and it's Mateo, like, and again, Mateo's funny. The reason why I think, you know, he's obviously funny is he's playing the, the stereotypical gay character. And he's doing it very mm-hmm. well, you know, from everything from him having yeah. his painted fingernails to to just the mannerisms, all of it. It's 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 there. So I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the stretch to believe that he's just kind of playing himself. You know, I feel like this is probably who this guy is, and that's why it comes off as natural as it does. And what's great is it's naturally funny, and it's it's good stuff. Um, so, you know, there. Yeah, no, he he's absolutely like one of the highlights of this movie. Um, but meanwhile, Scott's driving around with Danny, um, <clears throat> and they're heading to Michaela to check on her because Scott told uh, Abby that he would check on her. Uh, back at the school, practice continues. Mateo and Jackie return, claiming that Quincy is making out with the door and probably banging Tori at the same time. Uh, they practice a pyramid, but Paige falls and messes it up, so Jackie decides... Tori's a virgin, that's right. Unless Tori's working her magic, which, you know, if Tori's a virgin and she's got the whole promise thing, and they know, and she knows this for a fact, mm-hmm. uh, like, by working her magic, are they trying to say that she gives rim jobs? I would assume so. Probably a great fucking hand job. You know, she's not having sex. She's doing a definite good hand job. You know, because Danny's yeah. fucking obsessed with her. Like, he wants to know what that pussy's like. You know, he's probably just gotten a couple of hand jobs. Um, and we'll find out about Danny later um, as he well, gets no, to school. Well, no, keeping him on the line the whole time. That's the thing. So, like, I, you know, I, I don't think that he's been getting any of it at this point. You know, he's he's wanting it. That's why he hmm. wants to see her so damn bad. Um, that could be Me a too. Two, but, um so Reagan finds a book that has them all listed as stereotypes and points next to them. Mateo thinks it might be a sex list since the football team does the exact same thing. The group hears Jackie scream, and they all head into the bathroom as they find Sydney's body, as well as their phones, which were left in a toilet. 
realizing that Sydney's actually dead and not knocked out, they run back to the so gym and to listen to kill us. They grab their bags and try to leave the school, but the doors have all been changed shut. They decide to go look for Quincy and Tori before the killer finds them. Scott and Danny arrive at Michaela's house, and uh, I love the fact that Danny's like, how do you know where her bedroom is? And he's like, oh, Abby told me where her bedroom is. Like, yeah, all right, I'm sure she did that. <laughs> I'm sure she told you where her bedroom is. Um, so then we cut back to the school, uh, and they decide as a group that they need to split up to find the missing friends. Mateo, Paige, and Stu will go look for Abby with Abby to look for the friends while Jackie stays behind with the injured Regan. Scott knocks on Michaela's bedroom window and discovers that the squad has gone to the abandoned high school, so that's where Scott and Danny need to go. Abby and friends go into the administration office and find Tori's fingers on the paper cutter. They then find her body hanging in another office as they run for their lives and also in search of Quincy. The killer mascot shows up and fires yep. arrows at them as we cut back to the gym. Yep. Well, that was Evan, right? Or no, this is before <laughs> Evan stuff. No, that was that was uh, that was Tori. Yeah, Tori's was the one that was hanging. We just see her feet. Oh, that's from, right, uh, that's right, that's right. And they do the same thing with Evan later, but we see him more clearly. Yeah, we actually see um, Evan. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Um. So yeah, so it's a shame. Scott I wonder arrived. if he's so warm though, because you know I, I might have had to have been. I would have. I'm glad we would have. Even if it's like finger fun, I wouldn't have had fun. But um, Scott arrives well, at the school. Well, she with, had none. You know, either way, I'm having fun. It's Valentine's Day, guys. We're having fun. Uh, but uh, Scott and Danny arrive at the school, and using a crowbar, Scott and Danny make their way into the school. They hear cries for help and go off to find Abby. We see that Abby has found Quincy, who is dying, and he gets real philosophical. Um, he tries to get a joint into his mouth before he dies, but he's dead. Bummer. Couldn't even smoke it, you know. And it's just, it's fucking too late. And, you know, typical stoner, can't get that last token before he dies. Um, Mateo gets separated from Stu and Paige and gets hit in the arm with one of the killer's mascot's arrows. The killer runs out of arrows but has a knife to chase after Mateo with. As Danny goes to use the bathroom, he hears Abby. She hears him, and Scott goes looking for her. Uh, she enters a room with a TV that has a note on it saying, Play me, Abby. And it's a photo of Scott cheating on Abby with Michaela. How fucking dare you, sir? And she just can't believe this fucking thing that's happening right now. Scott's like, hey, baby, I can, I can explain. I can explain. But the mascot shows up, hitting him over the head with a bottle. Uh, and then Scott tries to tell Abby to run as he fights with the killer mascot. He gets a knife to the leg and then has a TV dropped on him, Stumacher style, which kills him. Abby returns to the room wielding the paper cutter from earlier to find Scott dead. I appreciate that because it's clearly a scream call. Right? You got that too, right? Like, I felt like that was such oh, a fucking scream callback. Absolutely. I was like, that there's has no to be a scream callback. There's, there's nobody else that gets killed by a television in the history of fucking, you know, as far as I know, horror movie cinema like Schumacher does. Yeah, and I just, I just, I, I kept thinking about that scene in my fucking head when I was watching that. I had a thing for you, Sid! And he fucking just drops to the fucking ground. And then in Scream 6, when you have uh, 
uh, Kirby talking to the one girl, and she's like, oh, if you really believe he died by that. I'm like, ooh, nice callback. <laughs> that he might not be dead, which he is. Um, you know, unless you think about the actual Scream 3 script where he was alive. But, you know, to me, Stu is fucking ultimate. Um, but anyway, uh, Mateo runs into Danny in the hallway. Mateo tells him that his girlfriend, Tori, is dead. As Danny tries to process that he's never going to get fucking laid, the killer mascot shows up and kills Danny with an arrow to the head. Stu, Abby, and Mateo return to the gym as Mateo collapses due to the arrow in his arm. Paige also returns as the killer mascot shows up. Paige then grabs Regan and reveals that she has a fucking knife. All right, bitch. Uh, so, okay. So now we have our killer reveal. It's Paige and her sister, Evie. They've decided that they just need to fucking kill and get those so points. Predictable. It was so fucking bad, dude. Like, I was like, all right, saw it. Like, I, I was honestly waiting for Principal Simmons to show up. Like, Scream 6 I'll, I'll, with I'll fucking Dermot Mulroney. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> now, you know, it's, it's funny. I, well, I, I believe this was filmed before Scream 6, so, you know, who knows? It they was, stole yes. it from them. Um, but I actually, you know, like, I'm sitting there, and I called it with Paige and Evie's introduction. The second yep. they introduced two of them as specifically twins, it was mm-hmm. like, those are your killers. I was like, and then, you know, so every time you saw somebody else leave that gym and Paige would leave as well, I was like, yeah, she's, she's the killer. It was just so fucking bad. Like, I was just like, let's get this fucking reveal over with. I was like, let's just fucking do it. Like, even when Evie first got introduced at the beginning, I'm like, yeah, she's a killer. All right. <laughs> She's going to turn out to be one of them. There's going to be another one. <clears throat> and that's exactly what happened. Um, and their whole impetus for killing is because Sandra is their aunt, Principal Simmons' sister, and that Abby's mother was a cheer captain who caused Sandra's death. So Abby's like, well, I don't want to be like my mom. I never wanted to be like her. I'm trying to not be like her. I'm so sorry that that happened. Um, but the sisters then announce in this moment, they want to play Cheer or Die, giving it to the title. Probably the worst fucking moment in this movie for me is the Cheer or Die segment because they say, hey, listen, you're going to perform these cheerleading stunts, and if you fuck up, you die. So Jackie and Mateo and Stu all have to be called up to perform their stunts, and they perform them fucking perfectly. No problems. And, of course, it's like, oh, it's fine. Riggin, who's injured, uh, is going to be next. And she, but I'm injured. I can't do it. So Abby decides I'm going to take her place, but then uses a paper cutter to hit Evie with. A fight breaks out, and the group uses their cheerleading moves to fend off Evie and Paige. They manage to run away, but discover Evan hanging from a noose with a knife in his head. So, yeah, bye, Evan. You were, you were fun while you were around. Um, it's just, it, it was terrible because, of course, they all hit their fucking spots perfectly. There's no consequences. But anyway, despite her fear of heights, Abby is lifted up so she can get to the roof with Silent Stu, who's never spoken a fucking word, shouting, bring it on! Movie title. Abby makes it to the rooftop and lowers down a, a rope for them to climb up on. Mateo is grabbed by Evie as he tries to climb up, so Abby decides to jump back down and gets into a fight with her. Abby grabs a shovel and uses it to slice open Evie's throat. 
and then she makes her way up onto the rooftop. The group celebrate with Jackie and Regan sharing a kiss. Oh, my God, guys, there are a couple of other lesbians. Uh, yeah, it's fine. They they kind of broke that oh, earlier. Um, they discover... So they discover the bus that they've been waiting for is in the parking lot, so they use the rope to climb down to the lot. Everyone but Abby makes it down to the ground as the rope breaks. Paige can be heard screaming about her dead sister, and Abby realizes that she'll have to use her cheerleading jump to get down. So, of course, she collapses her hands against her chest and makes a cheerleading jump to the ground. Everybody catches her. Huge success. Diablos. We're a team. I was like, oh, oh, God. Like, this third act, man, like, it was <laughs> it was a limping to the finale. I was like, I cannot wait yeah. for this fucking movie to end. It was just, well, I love, okay. I love the part in the quad when they're, they're climbing up the fucking wall with the rope, and then Abby jumps down. She jumps off the fucking roof to help. <laughs> Remember, because Mateo couldn't <laughs> get up. And, you know, fucking uh, the, the Evie had, like, used a, what sounded like a whip, okay? She sounded like she fucking whipped and lassoed his foot as he was climbing up the wall. And here we got yeah. fucking, you know, a- Abby, literally, who was on the roof, jumps down, agoraphobia and all, and, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, and, and, and here we are. Acrophobia. She made the save then. Mm-hmm. Uh, acrophobia, my bad. Yes, agoraphobia is something else entirely. Uh, <laughs> I, you know what it is? It's in my head, like I remember, it's funny too. Is last night I remember saying, "Oh, she's agoraphobic," and then I was like, "No, it's acrophobic." Um, and then of course I still ended up making a mistake tonight. But, but yeah, so, so 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 here we are with that, and yes, we get the worst fucking fallback in history. And uh, but but Abby does it. She makes the drop, and and they are saved. For now. For now, and again, like you and I both agree, Abby was so fucking hot, so I'm like, I don't care. Like just just show me that. Like I just the little tops that she was wearing the entire time and you know, I just I was I was just so happy to see Abby, you know, and that skirt that she was wearing in the beginning. I'm like, I I just like Abby a lot. Um but anyway, the group make it to the bus, but the driver who is waxing philosophical ends up getting killed by an arrow. Abby then jumps into the driver's seat of the bus and runs over Paige, ultimately killing her. Again, fucking missed opportunity, dude. Like, the whole fact that she has the bow and arrow, she wants to kill them, the arrow bounces off the windshield, and then they run her over, but it's kind of like, it's implied. (laughs) It's like, this movie should be PG at this point. Like, there's no foul language. There's no nudity. There's no blood. Hold on, it's not implied. They run her over. She says, I'm not dead. So Abby backs up, runs her over she again, does. and then pulls forward and runs her over a third time just to make sure she's dead. I appreciate <laughs> oh. that. I really do. But, like, this is where the movie did need to be gory because, you know what, this would have been a fun death to watch. And, like, I love that the bow, you know, like, like when the driver first you get a, a nice fake out. They get to the bus, they're banging on the door, you think the driver's dead, and you're like, ah, I saw that a mile away, you know? And he's not. He's sleeping, because he's fucking beat from, from fucking doing his, his club all night uh, with his band. So he wakes up and yeah. startled. But then it looks, I know he gets killed. It doesn't look like an arrow kills him. It looks like a javelin 
has gone through him. Because whatever mm, it is, it pierces the side of the bus to then go through him. But meanwhile, she can't get an arrow to go through the windshield. You know what I mean? So, like, it doesn't <laughs> no, make any sense. Yeah. But, but sure, we're going to roll with it. It's the seventh yeah. grade army. You know, I, I, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where I was thinking about. It. I'm like, God damn it, we're at 50 years of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, and that finale of the Hitchhiker being killed by the Black Maria truck that looked fucking better than what they did in this movie in 2022. Like, you have a fucking dummy in 1974 or 73 when they filmed it gets run over by the truck, and that looked fucking great. But in this one, it's just like, yeah, no. They just they, they they could have gone for it and they didn't. Sucks. Uh, but anyway, back in the bus, you know, they're like, go Diablos. <laughs> I love the like, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, we survived this fucking night of terror. Uh, then we cut to one year later at regionals where the Diablos have doubled in size because there's a fucking lot of them now. Um, and they are going to perform their moves and their stunts, and they do much as chagrin of Principal Simmons, who is not implicated at all in these murders. <laughs> Apparently, Abby and friends did not say that Principal Simmons had her two daughters uh, kill at all, but she's in the crowd, and she's just crossing off their faces as they win regionals. Well, yeah, I, I, I was so mad. I was so I, mad. I think she goes to ground. And the idea being that she's obviously going to get her revenge by, by killing them. I, I just was so fucking mad. I'm like, all right, fine. Like, you know what? They, Diablos win regionals. That's fucking awesome. It's bring it on. They have to. They're the underdogs. But, like, Principal Simmons, like, you don't think that Abby or any of them would be like, listen, she had her daughters, Paige and Evie, try to kill us at the abandoned high school. Uh, yeah, she's a ringleader. You might want to arrest her. No, she's in the crowd. She's hanging out. But but she's in <laughs> the, the crowd in that? disguise. She's in disguise. Um, that's what I'm saying. I think she goes to ground. I think she goes into mm. hiding so nobody knows where she is. And that's why she's there in the crowd, you know, with the sunglasses on. And, you know, mm. she's not, she's not like, you, can, you only know she's Principal Simmons because we know she's Principal Simmons. Yeah, I, you know, and I get that point, and I think you're right. I just think they should have done a better job at uh, making her disguise better. It's like, yeah, she's got sunglasses and a fun hat on, but it's like, no, it's still the blonde hair. It's still the weird fucking stern look that she always had on, Missy Piles with the weird stern face. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's fine, but it's like at the same time, it's like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, and I mean, we're never going to get a bring it on, sure, die too. I mean, I still can't believe this is like the fucking seventh or eighth fucking entry. Bring her, uh, bring it on, like you had said, because I had only seen the first and the second one, and I was like, yeah, yeah seventh movie. Yeah, I yeah, saw the second. Um, okay. Again, just like, just like. It's that, not bad. I, I, I've never seen any other. Uh, as far as I know, I've never seen any other. Bring it on. Um, like the second one. If you go to watch the trailer, it's one of those trailers that you get made for DVD movies in which it shows you a bunch mm. of scenes from the first movie before showing you anything from the new movie. Oh, it's one of those. Yeah, yeah. You never like those. You know, and I, I do think it's kind of funny when you look up Bring, your, uh, bring It On, Sure or Die on Google, it shows Kristen Dunst being in the fucking cast. <laughs> and she's clearly not. 
she was only in the first one, but for some reason they show that she's in bringing on you know, Shuri Dye as her character. I, I did, you know me, I normally try to avoid stuff, right? But I went to like look something up in the cast list, and I got pissed because I saw her in it, and I was like, fuck, I either ruined a cameo or for a little bit I was like, get the fuck out of here. Did they bring her back and make her the killer? I was like, that would have been <laughs> right? great. If she was the fucking mascot mm-hmm. the entire time, dude, I would have been like, you know what? This is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. I fucking oh. looked it up before I even watched it, and I saw that she was in I was like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. She's going to be the fucking, you know, fucking Laurie Metcalf, uh, Nancy Loomis character from Scream 2, and she's going to be the killer. I was like, that would be fucking great. And she's like, you guys don't even fucking know. And no, it's just, just, she was in the first one, and they just, for some reason, fucked it up and put her in the cast credits for bringing on Cheer or Die. And I was like, ah, that would have been fucking cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> would have been a weird fucking Scream 6 fucking thing where it's just like, let's just do part two, but put new characters in it that you kind of know are going to be the killers, but, you know, it, it, it's fine. I mean, it, it's a fine movie, you know, if you just kind of want to put something on that you could ignore. Otherwise, I if you want to put a movie on that you don't need to watch, you watch Bring right? It On. Like if, if, if you're hungover on a Sunday morning and you just want to put something on because there's nothing else on TV, it's a great one. Um, but as we close out, obviously the Dean should be returning next week. You can watch this movie in mute after you've seen it at least once because you don't need to hear her to appreciate her. She's so hot. So fucking hot, dude. Like when she's wearing that fucking lime green fucking, you know, sports bra. And I'm like, mm, okay, I'm in it. Um, but anyway, as we close out tonight's show, like I had said, uh, the Dean wasn't a part of tonight's episode. He should be returning next week. Hopefully we'll get a pick from him because it is his pick next week. Uh, but either way, we're going to carry forward. So as always, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the show. I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Angie G, saying, Hail Satan, hail yourselves, how odorous. Keep America strong, watch horror movies, and why don't you go ahead and sign yourself off, cool? Stay scared, everybody, and be aggressive. Be, be aggressive. aggressive. Be aggressive. Be aggressive. Give me a D. You got your D. You got your D. Give me an I. Give me an I, give me an I, you got your I, give me an E, you got your E, you got your E, what's that spell? Die. We'll see you back here next week, next week, folks.